1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist at the Charlotte Observer. For this episode, we've taken the Sports Legends show on the road. We've driven 140 miles northeast from Charlotte to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And now we're inside the Dean Dome, UNC's basketball palace, about to interview UNC basketball legend Phil Ford. Ford with a spin to the glass. I believe Phil Ford was a lot of things for UNC, the 1978 National Player of the Year for one, a longtime assistant basketball coach at UNC, and also the point guard who made the four corners famous. When Phil Ford held up four fingers back in the no shot clock era, it was game over because no one could run out the clock like Phil Ford. He held UNC's all time scoring record for 30 years until Tyler Hansbrough finally broke it in 2008 and Phil Ford still ranks number two all-time on that list. But when I think of Phil, I also think of something the former legendary UNC basketball coach, Dean Smith, told me in an interview. This was a number of years after Smith had retired. He said, quote, there has never been a guy more loyal to Carolina than Phil, I can tell you that.
0: I never considered myself great in anything, you know? Like I said, I had great coaching and great teammates, you know, I just tried as hard as I possibly could, and it was fun. And I just happened to, from the fifth, from five, six years old, football, basketball, and baseball, it was so much fun.
1: Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening. And consider a digital subscription to the Charlotte Observer. We welcome Phil Ford next on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you.
0: Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: You know, let's start with the four corners a little bit because it is an iconic thing that people remember from 40 (laughs) years ago. And that's unusual. I mean, not many people have a trademark like that. Tell me kind of how that started. Well, of course, it was
0: the brainchild of Coach Smith. And it was something that we practiced on every day. Uh, It's just not something that Coach Smith thought of at the end of a game and told us to stall. We had. Rules and things you could do and you couldn't do but to me what made the four corners work Scott was number one you had to have five very good ball handlers on the court not only myself you know John Kuster could play the middle as he did uh, his senior year in the ACC Mm -hmm. tournament Eastern Regional he was MVP I mean he could run the middle Walter Davis uh but the fact that I was in the middle, I think that I got a lot of the credit for four corners, but you had to have five very good ball handlers and five very good free throw shooters that could hit free throws in some tough situations, you know, tied, won, so many seconds to play and stuff. And believe it or not, you know, my job was to initially kind of act like we weren't going to score. I mean, like we weren't going to score, but if an opportunity came, we were going to, you know, get a back door, get a layup, we were looking to score. And then the other team would go down a lot of times out of frustration and take a quick bad shot. And it was very important for us to block out, get the rebound. We come down, do it again, and you know, we get up seven or eight. And at that time, you know, that was pretty much the game. But I do think I get a lot of credit for four corners, but, you know, it had to have five very good players on the court. To do a lot of good things for four corners to work.
1: And back then there was no shot clock. There was also I can't remember when the one and one rule changed. Were you shooting one and ones on free throws all the all your career? I feel like you <laughs> were.
0: We talking about a few years yeah. ago. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think we did have. I one feel like run. you had
1: to always make you know clutch free throws at the end. And uh, of course that yeah that was a little uh, a little time ago. Um, you mentioned Walter Davis. And so I know through that you've known Hubert Davis probably forever. Uh, tell Since me about, he was elementary school. Elementary yeah. school. Yeah, so I've tell got, me a little uh, bit about that relationship and how you, you know. I've got uh, uh,
0: pictures in my phone with Walter and one of our managers, Jeff Mason and myself, and Coach Davis when he can't be over 10, 9 <laughs> or 10 years old and uh, I've known him ever since then. Uh, He's been a great, great guy ever since then. He was a great player. Uh, He's a fighter. You know, I know Walt begged Coach Smith to recruit him. Coach Smith at first uh, told him to go to George Washington, I think, and uh, (coughs) excuse me, Walt told Coach that he may not be your best player as a freshman, but the time he's a senior, he'll be your best player, and he was, Went on to play 12, 14 years in the NBA. So
1: you know, he knows what it is to fight. He does. And what a first season <coughs> the Tar Heels had. Were I mean, you I mean, I'm just
0: so impressed with his leadership skills. You know, when, when you look at our staff, um, you know, Sully and Coach May and Coach Lebo, and Coach Manuel, and just all down the line, Coach Davis, as far as X's and O's. You know, knowing what to do and how to do it and how to teach it. Those guys have had the best training in the world themselves and have done it before, but I think the part that as a head coach you, you don't get what you learn on the job is the leadership. You know, he he knew when to love him. He knew when to get on him. He knew exactly what to say to him because, to me, that team last year could have given up on themselves extremely easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but Coach Davis wouldn't let them. And, you know, to have those skills, you know, it's just unbelievable. And maybe his spirituality has something to do with that, you know. Uh, that's something we, we don't know. But I'm just totally impressed with our team and with our staff, you know, how those guys just fought back, never kept, you know, those are the type of guys you want in a foxhole, which those type of guys.
1: Think they'll win the national championship in 2023? I'm not
0: going to jinx them because <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. But I do believe that we're probably one of twenty twenty five schools that could win it if, if everything goes well. Scott, you and I both know that in order to win that, you know, you have to be very good, but you have to be lucky too. Yes. You know, it's kind of funny. I was looking at um, Boston – uh, Miami the other night, and everybody was just hyping about Game Seven. Yeah, you know, you know, big thing about Game Seven. Well, the NCAA tournament is six Game Sevens. You know, back so, to back. Yeah, right. yeah and just uh, sometimes the best team doesn't win, but luck is part of it.
1: Do you think you ever, when y'all, when you either as a player or an assistant coach here for a dozen years or so, do you think you guys ever had the best team and didn't win? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, I do. What particular two or three year? times? I'm not going to yeah. go into the years, but
0: <laughs> two or three times, yeah. just off the top of my head, I think I thought we were better. But you know, just because you're better, it doesn't matter. sometimes. very seldom does is the best team win it every year. Yeah. And, and you know, you look at the team. I think that wins the tournament, NCAA tournament. There's probably one game in there that they've had that could have gone either way. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so overtime, <laughs> yeah, something, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, even the Tar Heels I remember back in 82 and mm. uh, right Madison I right. mean the James first game Madison. I remember watching it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. maybe should have lost that yeah and then yeah. they go come back and Michael makes a shot yeah. and yeah. there you go coach smith has one uh you you had well, you got one here in 93 yes. I think right w- yeah. were you guys clearly the best team that I year? think we were the best team uh
0: as far as individual ability maybe not but as far as cohesiveness um, Guys understanding their roles, guys liking each other, um, guys accepting their roles. I, I don't. I, we, we had somebody that could do everything, defend, shoot, score, rebound, handle the ball. We just had uh, a very good team that year.
1: Tell me, Phil, about growing up in Rocky Mountain. What was that like?
0: It, it was great. I, I wouldn't want to grow up in any other city in the world. It was a type of city where there was one high school in the city limits. There were some high schools in the county. Um, It was three junior high schools in the city limits, but my ninth grade year, the ninth grade was integrated, so... There was one one ninth grade school, one eighth grade school, one seventh grade school, because uh-huh. then junior high was seven, eighth, and ninth. And now I think it's six, seven, and eight. Yes. But uh, it was uh, everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, I was a daddy's boy, I guess you could say. Uh, my dad was a sharecropper's son, and uh, that's why I admire him so much. But and went on to get a master's degree. You know, that's pretty impressive from where he started. He This always was said, Big Phil
1: we're talking yeah, about, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. the height
0: you reach, but the depth <laughs> from which you came. And he came from a pretty deep spot. Sharecropper's son, wow. Yeah, and uh, he couldn't play sports. So uh, I think by me playing sports, he had a good time watching me play sports. And as far as I can remember, six, seven, eight years old, football, basketball, and baseball. You know, when I was six or seven years old, a grown man could throw, you know, some distance. To throw a ball to me as hard as he could, and I could catch it. Really? Yeah. He, mm-hmm. uh, my dad always thought I would have been a better baseball player. Really? Oh. But I couldn't hit, man. I could, if you hit, I was a shortstop. If you hit it on that side of the field, I could go get it and throw you out. But when it came time to hit,
1: <laughs> no. I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that short circuits a lot of baseball games, I <laughs> yeah. think, especially the curveball mm-hmm. once people hit that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your mom's name was Mabel. Mabel,
0: yeah, she right. was a French and English teacher. And yeah.
1: your dad taught, we taught as history. well. Mm-hmm. He taught, taught history. Mm-hmm. And was this at your high school, or was no? This I never the, went to the same school that. Okay, uh, but so I didn't know that. But you, so you're saying your school was segregated up until eighth yeah, grade? Yeah, in, in the in uh, the first through sixth
0: grade, which was elementary school in Rocky Mount, I went to an all African American elementary school called Annie W. Holland. Mm. And in the seventh and eighth grade, there was a. Uh, It was an all African American uh, junior high. Now you know integration had already occurred. You could go to it was I think it was called Freedom of Choice or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I chose to go to the uh, to J.W. Parker for the sports. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, seventh and eighth grade, uh, I went to J.W. Parker, which was all African American. And then my ninth grade year, um, R.M. Wilson was the ninth grade school. George Edwards was the Eighth grade school and and uh, J W Parker was the seventh grade school.
1: Tell that story uh, that I love about when uh, Dean Smith came down to visit you and your mom, who was really not a big basketball fan, mistook sort of his job. at Hill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, My
0: mom was rolling over. She knows. Um, um, no, it was it was just she she wasn't a big sports fan mm-hmm. from from. Organized basketball in the seventh grade through junior high, high school, four years of college, seven years in the NBA. She may have gone to three games personally. I mean, wow. she she wasn't a big fan of sports. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, when I had narrowed it down to about five or six schools when the schools were coming in to recruit me, my mom never wanted to, was interested in sitting in on, on the meeting. It was usually my dad, my high school coach, Richard Hicks, and myself. And and Coach Smith, is, it just happened that way. North Carolina just happened to be the last school in the first rotation of schools coming to Rocky Mount to visit my family and me. And that's when my mom wanted to sit in on the meeting because she thought that Dean Smith was the dean of a college and she was going to handle the academic part of, of it. She was happy that somebody was finally <laughs> talking about me about academics and instead of basketball all the time.
1: But I think you once told me that that visit in fact was about a lot more than basketball. It
0: was. We didn't talk about first 30 35 minutes. We didn't even bring up basketball. You know, we talked about a lot of things and then when we finally brought up basketball, that's when he told me that you know, I may have to play junior varsity. He wasn't sure where I'd fit in. And mm-hmm. I think that's when my mom fell in love with him.
1: Hmm. Sure, because he wasn't promising. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, and you had an a, a outstanding career here, became the all-time leading scorer, a record that finally was broken 30 years later by Tyler Hansbro. But you were also known for toughness here. You mentioned uh, Hubert Davis as a, as a fighter and tough, but... The story of you and the tooth, and I think Stan Rome or something. Uh, What's that? I'm not sure I'm getting it straight. Tell me that one, though, because it's legendary around here. Yeah, Coach Smith used to
0: use that all the time, and the guys got so tired of it. But what really happened was um, ACC tournament my sophomore year, uh, Stan Rome comes down and knocks my tooth out, and I didn't really know what it was in my mouth. I see it's my tooth, so I just dribble over to the trainer, handing my tooth, and keep on playing. No time out. You're still in the same possession. Yeah. 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 So anytime somebody would get hurt, Coach Smith would use that. And he just used it so much that the guys got tired of it. <laughs> and, and they start killing me, you know, kidding me <laughs> about, yeah. you know, Coach Ward, tell us about the time that you dropped on the bomb and <laughs> your arm <laughs> right. came off and you dribble over, <laughs> handing your arm to <laughs> <it>. <laughs>
1: JRE was the leader of that. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Seventy six, I think it was in seventy six. Clemson was Rome, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Y'all win that game, I guess. Probably we won that game,
0: but uh, we lost that year in the finals to Virginia.
1: Mm. Oh, right, the year that they had the the run. Yes, Mm. you um, you loved it here. I think Dean Smith (laughs) and and still do. Right, I mean this place. It's very fitting. We're doing this interview in Chapel Hill. I guess just sort of speak to the influence that. This place has had on you.
0: Well, this place is this place with me because you know it began with Coach Smith. You know, my relationship with him is such that up until the day he died, you know, I looked at him like a father, a second father, and uh, you know, academically, athletically, socially, Chapel Hill is everything that I thought it would be. You know, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't hesitate once to come back here. Um, it's interesting when I was in the NBA I met a lot of guys in the NBA that uh if they had to do it all over again, they wouldn't go to the school that they attended. And you know, I found I found that kind of strange, you know, because if you're in the NBA you probably had a pretty successful career. Yeah. 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 And uh but uh yeah, this place is great. I love Chapel Hill and I love the people here and it's just always fun to come back here. I still every time I come back here, I get those goosebumps. Really? Belly. Yeah. yeah.
1: And how many games a year do you? Are you? Uh, I came, here for. I came to. I come to every one. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're. Um, people forget how good of an NBA player you were. Um, you were the number two mm-hmm. overall draft pick in '78. Right. I can't remember who was one. Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson. Okay.
0: Clay Thompson's dad. Oh, right, right.
1: Now known as Clay Thompson's dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and played for the Kansas City Kings. Right. Um, and then had a a, a really freak injury that that really kinda of messed things up, right? Yeah, I
0: did. I uh, I uh, it's called a blowout fracture of my left orbital. Um uh, guy named World Be Free, you know, I was making a baseball pass. I jumped up, long story short, he stuck his thumb in my eye and pushed my eyeball down through the shell. And I have some double vision that I still have to this day, but uh up until that point, you know things were going pretty well. But after that point, I, I didn't have no things as well as I as I possibly should have off the court, and it kind of grew into a monster. and And I uh, battled that monster most of my adult life. Uh, luckily, through spirituality and where I am right now, I don't battle that anymore. But uh, I I love the NBA. You know, it was. Uh, I tell people it's a great job. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people would agree. So it was a baseball pass. I didn't know that. Yeah, right. he, he, so he's
0: he, taking full. Yeah, throw. right. Mm-hmm. And 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 he hit it just right. and and luckily, it didn't scratch or tear the retina or anything like that, or the cornea or anything. It just pushed the entire eyeball down through the shell that it sits on.
1: Mm. And do you wear glasses or contacts or, or did you have I, surgery? Or
0: I did have to have yeah. surgery. And uh, doctors told me that uh, back then that they may could go in and correct the double vision. But if I can't get 100%, I don't really want to be operated on. Uh, so uh, I never had it operated on. Really?
1: Huh. And the monster you're speaking about is alcohol. He does
0: addiction. Mm-hmm.
1: And... So how long did you struggle with that?
0: Off and on, most of my adult life, you know, there were periods of time in there, six years, ten years, where I was sober. But right now, uh, I'm in a sober period, and it's been multiple, multiple years, which I'm thankful to Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I'm just at a great place in my life right now. I couldn't be happier.
1: Did you manage to fight that demon on your own with your family, or did you uh, involve Alcoholics Anonymous? Oh so, yes, yeah.
0: Alcoholics Anonymous, family, uh, my spirituality. Mm. I mean, uh, my faith. Yeah, everything. It takes everything. All of it, it right? It takes yeah. A, yeah.
1: So, did your NBA career end because of that, or the injury, or did you not? What What kind my of skills? You, no, your skills, skills eroded a, yeah, a little your bit. Skills.
0: Your skills. The older you get, the skills yeah. you erode, and when you aren't taking care of your body, your skills erode a lot faster, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what happened to me.
1: Did you enjoy coaching college ball or, or NBA ball more? It's
0: totally different, Scott. You know, they're two different games, and mm-hmm. you know, I try to tell my dad that. You know, my, my dad was a college guy. Oh, was you it? Know? Yeah. But I try to tell him, you have the best players on the planet playing out there, and it may look like they aren't trying, or they aren't playing hard because – but the things that they may look, they make look easy, mm-hmm. are very difficult to do. Yes. So, uh, I, I enjoy both of them. But you know, the only place I ever taught in college is uh, coaching college was here. So, you know, it's hard to beat that. Yes. You know for yeah. how much I love here. But I, I enjoy coaching in the pros too. How
1: many NBA teams did you coach? Uh, uh, with
0: I started off in Detroit, and then I went to New York. And then I went to Charlotte Three,
1: mm-hmm. right? I, we we intersected some in Charlotte mm-hmm. with Larry Brown right. for a while. How you going and, there? And yeah.
0: and, uh, and uh, Sam Sam Vincent
1: is that. It was, Oh, okay. Oh, you did it for both of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you're. Uh, I know you made no secret and uh, of the fact that you wanted to have your uh, head coaching job at some point well, in your I, life?
0: Well, I, 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 said, I said that I think every young coach would like to be a head yes. coach. But the fact that, you know, it never happened, it, it, I understand. You know, it's just something that never happened in my life. I mean, it doesn't uh, – I don't lose sleep over it, anything. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think every young coach looks forward to being a head coach.
1: I asked this question that we were, I was doing this podcast episode with Dale Earnhardt Jr., the NASCAR driver, uh, a couple of, a little while ago, and said, what would you tell yourself at age 25 that you know now, that you didn't know then? And Dale's response was, I would, first of all, I would slap the, out of myself. <laughs> he was mad at himself that's at 25.
0: A great, that's a great start. Which was a
1: good start, Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so I've now incorporated that question to all of these. Uh, so what would you tell yourself at 25, 28, 22, whatever?
0: I think, you know, listen to my, my dad mm. a little more. You know? There you he, go. He used to always tell me as a kid growing up, you know, because I always played with in my neighborhood, when I was like in the first grade, I was playing basketball and sports and stuff with guys in the fifth and sixth mm-hmm. grade because I was always the lowest one. And, yeah. You know, they could go, I couldn't leave my street and they could go all over the community. And my dad used to always tell me, don't grow up too fast. Oh, and, yeah. you know, when you think about that in the whole
1: realm of things, don't try to do too much too fast. I think that's some good advice. That is. Don't try to grow up too fast. So hard not to, isn't it funny when you're young? Everyone wants to get old, and then when people get old, they wish they were Slow young again. Down. <laughs> right? That's right.
0: That's what I just told you guys. I yeah. said I knew I was going to get old, just didn't know it was going to come so fast.
1: <laughs> you uh, you did everything you did in basketball without being able to dunk. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that had to come up. Huh? <laughs> You're the second guy we have that we talked to that couldn't dunk Muggsy couldn't dunk either. So he probably
0: has a high vertical in me, though.
1: He did have a pretty good vertical. Uh, yeah. But uh, were you able? I think
0: I've never, never, did. never been. You know, able to I, do that. I did it yeah. one time, I think, in high school, in a pep rally. It okay, probably wasn't a real dunk. It was like a squeegee, just <laughs> a squeegee,
1: pushed it across the rim. <laughs> but no, I just uh, I never could jump that high. Huh? But you were always around the rim. It seemed like on those layups and stuff. Or did you just fake it? Did you just fake it real well that you had a a leaping ability? Because I remember I don't think of you as somebody who couldn't jump.
0: Yeah. I never done. Yeah, you know, you know,
1: uh-huh. I, I was able to get to the rim. Right, maybe that, uh, was, that was really it. so quick. You were. What was your main basketball skill? What do you think you did? What made it work for you? I think I was blessed with quickness.
0: You know, like you said, I'm I'm not the most athletic guy in the world. Uh, I had great coaching my entire career. I had great teammates my entire career. Um, I, I tried to do exactly what every coach I had said told me to do. You know, I, I wasn't really worried about how I looked or how I played. I just tried to do what they told me to do. And I figured that if I did what they told me to do, you know, that means I played
1: good. Yeah. So, did you consider yourself a, a great shooter or just a great scorer?
0: I never considered myself great in anything, mm. you know, Um uh, Like I said, I had great coaching and great teammates, and you know I just tried as hard as I possibly could, and it was fun. It was so much fun. I think that's what a lot of young people today have to ask themselves when they get involved in sports, and parents Mm -hmm. have to ask themselves: Does their child really like it? Do they really enjoy it? And I just happened to, from the fifth, from five, six years old, football, basketball, and baseball. You it was, loved it. I loved Football it. Football, too.
1: What position were you there?
0: Quarterback, but a guy named Frank Fields hit me so hard in the ninth grade, I said, I'm never playing this sport again. <laughs> I still remember his name.
1: <laughs> Frank Fields. Yeah. On another team? Uh, we on were, it was in practice. practice. It was oh, in okay.
0: practice, yeah. Rocky, Rock, Aaron Wilson, junior in ninth grade.
1: The high school you went to was called Rocky Mountain. Rocky Mountain right? Senior High School. That was the, the – all these are – 10th, 11, 12 Yeah,
0: right. and, and, and Rocky – R.M. Wilson was the first year of integration mm. that I was talking about mm-hmm. where all the ninth grades went to the same school. Yes. We had two teams. It was uh, R.M. Wilson Blue and R.M. Wilson Gold. And we were on R.M. Wilson Blue, and he was a big guy. And Coach blew the whistle, and I didn't hear it. He didn't
1: hear it, and I was there. And mm. He creamed my clock. How was um, you going to school during a, a, a time where it sounds like Rocky Mountain was just getting fully integrated? I mean, did you experience any prejudice?
0: No, because believe it or not, in a little town like Rocky Mountain, we knew white right guys that could play because in the summer, you know, in the park, you know, everybody would know what park to go to and what day and, you know, the better players would be at this park right. on that day and... You know you know whether a guy can play football, you know whether a guy can play basketball. So, you know, we kind of knew each other that way. So it it wasn't like you really going into something blind where you really never knew anybody or really had any contact with them.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. You've just heard the first half of our conversation, but there's much more to come.
0: In in a sport like basketball, individual honors are, are great. I'm honored and I know that I wouldn't have achieved anything without the coaching staff, and without my teammates. But the ultimate is to be a national champion. I know I tell Joe Barry all the time that uh, I trade him my number in the Raptors for for his national (laughs) title.
1: For that, please purchase a premium subscription to our show, exclusively on Apple Podcasts. And for video of these interviews, visit charlotteobserver.com slash legends. It has been showtime here by this man, number one, Phil Ford of North Carolina does it again. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. This show is produced by Jeff Seiner and Kata Stevens. And the director of audio at McClatchy is Davin Cogar. For lots more content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends and consider a digital subscription. Connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or by email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next week.